There is no growth in comfort and no comfort in growth. Business today typically values and promotes leaders for their subject expertise. Leaders who have command of the details and execute based on knowledge and experience are highly respected. However, to grow as a leader, you have to get out of your comfort zone. That means learning to lead without just being the expert. Learn to gain the trust and respect of a team that might know more than you do. Get comfortable with ambiguity and with not having all the information. Develop the skills and confidence to lead in a different way. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone, and I'm Wanda Wallace. Today, I want to talk about inspiring. That is, inspiring people to follow you. So I want you to think for a minute about those leaders that seem to have incredibly strong followers, those kind of followers that will do almost anything, walk over the edge of a cliff, go through fire, move a mountain. They just seem to be motivated to achieve the leader's goal and vision, and they're excited to follow. It's a good thing. They're enthusiastic about it. So what I want to do today is ask what is it that makes those leaders so special, and then how can any of us have a bit more of that special ingredient? So with me today is Leonard Powell. Leonard is president and owner of Powell Consulting Group. It's a management consulting corporation, but they specialize in energizing the human potential in organizations and inspiring performance. So for the last 35 years, Leonard has been designing and delivering training courses, including things on change management, team building, leadership development, coaching, diversity, and competence. Um, diversity competence, excuse me. He's a retired military officer, having served in a variety of leadership assignments, including a commanding officer and a staff intelligence officer, among others. So, Leonard, welcome to the show. Thank you, Wanda. It's great to be with you. How are you today? I'm doing great today, and I am looking forward to this topic. I can't tell you how many times people ask me, they say, I need leaders who can be more inspiring. But no one has a clue what that means or what we do. So I'm really excited about it. But I want to start with something you say to start off with. You say leadership is a privilege that people bestow on you as the leader because they choose to follow you. So what do you mean? Why do you say that? Well, Wanda, leadership is a privilege because the followers have an option whether or not to follow Leadership is actually a relationship between those who aspire to lead and those who can choose whether or not they want to follow. I can't make anyone or you can't make anyone follow you. And since they have an option of whether or not to follow, then it is a privilege when they demur to you and they decide to follow you. Okay, all right, I get that one. Decide to follow. All right, now, you have military experience, and for a lot of people, the belief is that in the military, it's very hierarchical, and people do what they're told. So if the commanding officer says, march, move, jump, people march, move, jump. That is inconsistent, though, with what you just said about followers have an option. So how do you resonate, uh, resolve the two? It's it's not inconsistent at all. The military, as you said, is very hierarchical. So that is a formal power. The leaders in the military have power that's invested in based on the position that they hold. And that gives them the right, the, uh, the legitimacy in being a leader and, and giving instructions. But still, people will choose 
to what degree they will follow their, those leaders. They will choose to how much of their discretionary emotional energy they will commit to uh, to the task of getting the things done that the leader wants done or following the leader's vision. Although I, the leader in the military has the legitimate power, at times people will choose to just go halfway. They have choose to put a toe in the water and, and not fully commit themselves to, to the vision or the actions that the leader has the prerogative of, of, of telling them to do. All right, so we certainly see that in the world at large, not just in the military, every day when people say, I have to do this much because you told me, but I'm not in it. And we see the consequences of that one. All right, so let's talk then about those leaders that we are willing to literally or metaphorically take a bullet for. What is it that makes them so unique? They, they are unique because they create an environment. Um, where everybody can use and develop their full potential, and everybody is willing to give their best. We can't, leaders can't order and can't make anybody do anything, but the best they can do is create an environment where people are willing. So I think the question is, how do you do that? And the first, you know, yeah. there are a number of things you have to do, but but one, you have to connect with people because leadership is a relationship. You have to, relationships are built from the heart. They are based on how people feel. I can always, I forget what you said, I can forget what you do, but I'll never forget how you make me feel. And if people feel a certain way about the leader, when they feel a certain way about the organization, then they are inspired to jump on board and take that bullet. So you're saying inspiration is ultimately a feeling that people have in your presence as a leader. Based on the relationship you have, the leader has with the person, is that it? exactly Inspir- inspiration and motivation come from within? You know, it's a misnomer that I can motivate you. I can create a condition where you can choose to be motivated. I keep trying to do things and push those right buttons where you can choose and to be motivated or you will choose. Sometimes my, all of my attempts, the best that I can do, fails because you don't make that choice to be motivated. Uh, and And... And one person can be motivated, and many people can be motivated by my action, but there could be that outlier who, who ha- it doesn't appeal to at all, and it doesn't connect with that person. And so uh, leaders have to find that way to connect with everybody and to get them turned on uh, so that they would be willing to follow. All right. I just want to come back on this one because it's so easy to say you have to connect with people and it's about creating an environment where everybody can feel, can achieve their potential. I mean, we say all those words all the time, but it's a very important nuance to say, as a leader, I cannot inspire or motivate anyone. All I can do is create the conditions where you choose yourself to be inspired or to be motivated. Wow. 
That That changes the game. Everything we we are normally taught, that sounds counter to the conventional wisdom that I was taught uh, when I was uh, developing as a leader. Yeah, it does. And it really... It's to be very true. Yeah. All right. So talk to me then. So you said we have to connect with people, but what else is it about the conditions I create that encourages people to choose to be inspired or motivated? Well, what does I, that look I like? think the first thing that I have to do as a leader is to know me. I have to know what turns me on, what turns me off. I have to know my strengths and my weaknesses. I have to know my uh, strengths and vulnerabilities. I have to know um, how I engage people, how I connect people. I have to uh, know what my values are. I have some clarity uh, around what uh, around my stand and my philosophy and my approach to life, to relationships, and to getting things done through people. That that knowing thyself is the is the first uh, requirement of good leadership. And once I do that, then I can start looking, doing the things that um, turn people on. People have three basic feelings that that must be addressed. They want to be significant. That is, they want to know that they matter, their presence matter, that they make a difference. As a leader, I have to find a way to communicate to people that they make a difference and to do the things that help people to feel that they matter. The second thing is people want to have some sense of competence. That is, they can do things, they can accomplish things, they can get tasks done, they can uh, manage life's challenges, and they can accomplish something and feel good about having accomplished something. And and the third uh, basic feeling that people have is they want to be liked to some degree or another. Um, we we and being liked is giving me the opportunity to be authentic and be who I am, so I don't have to walk around pretending. And not that you have to go out of your way and do the, and bring me candy, everything, but you create. But when I'm in your presence, I can like myself when I'm around you. I don't have to be second-guessing myself and, and leaving pieces of me at home and suppressing who I am uh, in order to be around you. Well, that's an important distinction because we always talk about how much people like to be liked in one way or another. But the notion that in your presence as the leader, I can like myself. Yes. That changes what it means to create a condition. It's a subtle difference, but it is a big one, I think, at least. I think it's, it's it's a very powerful uh uh change and 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 it's it was a struggle for me when I first um uh, got introduced to that concept by Will Schutz who developed the FIRO uh theory of organizations and and what I discovered as I went through this you know through the stages of development in my life and started paying more attention to that that my liking you has very little to do with you it has something to do with how I feel about me when I'm in your presence. 
if you do things where I have to hold back, where I have to suppress, I have to be in a, an environment that's toxic, that's negative, um, and, and I have to live in that kind of environment, I can't feel good about myself in that kind of environment. And so then I can't feel good about you. <laughs> That is interesting. I was just talking with someone today who um, working in a large corporation in a particular functional role and really, really, really competent at that functional role, but didn't like working with the executive team and therefore put the energy on the people that he liked to work with. And the net result is suboptimized performance because okay. could not feel good about himself in the presence of the executive team. Very interesting statement. Okay, so, you know, it almost sounds like we're asking the leader to do things that make everybody else comfortable, but that starts to sound inauthentic. No, it's not authentic, inauthentic at all. Uh, the purpose of leadership is to inspire people to get things done. Leaders get work done through people. If I don't inspire them, then I don't get the things done. I don't accomplish my mission. I don't achieve my vision. I don't take them to the place that I'm trying to lead them. So it, it is in their interest, it is in my interest, it is in the organization's interest that, that I, I find a way to create those conditions. If, if nobody is following then nobody, there's no leadership. And if nobody is following and we are not getting anything done, well, then we're just taking a walk in the park and, and, and everybody loses in that scenario. Okay. All right. So when you say create the right conditions, you're saying create the conditions where people feel, where each individual feels significant, competent, and liked to some degree. Is that what you mean? That's what exactly what I mean. Okay. Fabulous. All right. So... I can get this, but why is it so important for me to know me? I mean, how, how, why do I have to know myself, what turns me on, how I engage my values, my philosophical stance, my relationship to life, in order to create those conditions for someone else? Uh, leadership is a relationship, as I said earlier, between those who would aspire to lead. That's me. And those who would choose to follow, that's the people that, that I'm working with and, and I'm trying to get to follow me. So, so it, it, there's, there's a balance there. If I just focus on one side, I am just working and trying to do things to appeal to those people. But I could be the problem. They might not be following because of some of my patterns, some of my idiosyncrasies, um, some of the ways of expressing myself, some of the ways that I go about doing business, uh, my level of comfort with people, my level of discomfort with people, um, how I feel about myself and how I do me. And, and that causes people to want to get on board or not. Let me tell you a story. I was doing some work um, in a manufacturing plant, and there was a team that had a leader, and uh, people didn't follow her. They didn't feel good about her. They kept at a distance, and they could never connect with her. And they were the worst-performing team in the plant. And she accused them of not wanting to follow her because she, she was an African-American female. It yet that was just coincidental. But she she 
ran out of other reasons. And so she thought that was it, or at least that's what she espoused. When she got in deeper and became more aware of herself, she found that she had had a tragedy in her life uh, where she was violated. And it and out of that experience, she decided, made a choice, that she would not get close to people anymore, and she would keep them as a distance. So people never felt comfortable with her because she kept putting up this wall. It was an unconscious effort. She wasn't aware that she was doing it, but everybody else felt this chill, this coldness. And once she got in touch with that and she was able to tell the story of what happened to her, the team rallied around her. They went back to work and in one day they went from the worst performing team in the plant to the best performing. They said, we will put you on our shoulders and we will lift you to the clouds and we'll show them how great we are. Once she came in touch of how she was using herself and how she lived her life and caused people to be a distance from her, and when she got past that and say it's okay to be vulnerable, it's okay to be me, and, uh, and I had this, and now I can take a chance and trust you and trust that you won't violate me. The whole, the whole relationships came. The whole calculus of their relationships was transformed immediately. Okay. All right. So I can see why her being in touch with herself and her drivers and her choices in life and the ways in which she chooses to engage other people creates an environment where people feel, indeed, either significant or not, competent or not, or light to some degree or not. I can see that one. But would you advocate that it's always necessary to, you know, say out loud to the team some of the deepest, darkest stories, or can we just own that up to ourselves? No, I don't advocate saying it out loud to everybody and everything. You know, uh, there, there's a certain amount of me that I'm not going to uh, put in the public arena. Uh, uh, but uh, I saying it to myself and letting myself be aware of it is the first step, is, is to be aware of myself. Now, now, when I come to my relationship with you, um, I sometimes have to ask myself, what was, what's the worst thing that could happen that if you knew? And, and I have all these negative fantasies about what will happen to me if you know these deep, dark secrets. And so I hold on. And what I discover is most of the time those negative fantasies are just that, negative fantasies. Nobody will, will, will give a, that much of a hoot, and, uh, and it won't make any difference. In fact, in her case, as in many other cases, people will rally around you. But still, with her case and, and, that, and that experience uh, that comes from her sharing, I still don't believe that everything is for the public and I'm going to share everything there is about me. It, it, it's just not necessary. 
Okay. Um, this whole notion of, you know, so what's the worst that would happen if you did know this thing about me strikes me as exactly like Brene Brown's research on vulnerability, where we create this whole scenario that you're going to hate me if you know this one thing about me that I'm actually not perfect at. And instead, it's exactly that that keeps you from being connected to people, as you said at the beginning. So very, so a lot of consistency there in the story. So if I just repeat this, people have three things that they want. One is to feel significant. Two is to feel competent. And three is to be liked to some degree, some of us more so than others. Uh, care more degrees about that one, I guess I should say. And my job right. as a leader is to create a condition in which you can feel those three things to the degree you want to feel those three things. And then you as the follower choose then whether you're going to be inspired, you're going to be inspired or be motivated. There's nothing else I can do other than create that condition. And in order to create that condition, I have to start with who is really me and how do I really show up in the world and what am I doing that is blocking or increasing or enhancing or preventing significance, competence, and being liked. Did I get a good right. summary there? You did a great summary, and let me add one piece. Please. It's a fear, there's a fear that is associated with each one of those three feelings. If I am not significant, if I don't matter, you will ignore me. So I don't want to be ignored. So my fear is being ignored, being uh, just don't matter. I'm in the room, but I'm not there. I'm never noticed. My fear around competence, if I'm treated as incompetent or I'm feeling incompetent in this environment, then I will be humiliated. And I try to avoid being humiliated. And the fear that underlies uh, being liked um, is uh, being rejected. We think that's an adolescent phenomenon, but we are kids in grown-up bodies. We don't want to be rejected either. So we are trying to avoid uh, the worst of our fantasies around those three fears. All right. So I can know that about myself, but how do I come to do anything about that for somebody else? Well, well, you, your behavior creates the environment where they feel the safety, where I, I am not being ignored. You notice me. You pay attention to me. You notice me when I'm not there. You acknowledge me. You, you t- come to me. You talk to me. You listen to me. Um, um, my, to avoid humiliation, you give me tasks. You give me challenges. You help me to develop my skills and, and my competencies. You help me uh, to learn to make good decisions and do good things and accomplish things so I can feel the, the reward of having done something meaningful. And you give me meaningful assignments. And, and uh, the, you, the fear about rejection, um, you don't reject me when I'm being myself. You create the space for me to be who I am within certain boundaries, of course, and, uh, and, and you, you allow me to be authentic, and you uh, come to me with that same ethnicity that I want to, to uh, put on display or live myself. Okay. All right. So I just want to repeat this. The whole notion is that people want to feel significant. And if they think they're not being significant, they fear they're going to be ignored. 
And what that means that the leader can do is to notice them, to talk to them, to ask their opinions, to let them see that they are they are not ignored. The second one is competence. And if people are not feeling that they're competent, then they're afraid of being humiliated. And what the leader can do is to give people challenges, to help them develop, to help them accomplish things so that they don't fear being humiliated. And the third is we need to be liked to some degree, and the fear is it will be rejected. And so what the leader can do is allow the person to be themselves within some reasonable bounds and not reject them when they are being themselves. You got it, Wanda. All right. All Incredible, right. Leonard. It's very simple to stay, say, and I think extremely difficult to do, and hence why it is so hard to find environments where people are inspiring. Inspired, excuse me. And I just want to repeat, it's not that me as the leader, as the leader, I try to make people inspired or motivated. Instead, it's I create the conditions where they can choose to be inspired or motivated. A very profound difference. All right, so with me today is Leonard Powell. He's president and owner of Powell Consulting Group. And Leonard's passion and life and his experience for the last 35 years is energizing human potential in organizations and inspiring high performance. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, I want to talk about generosity and diversity in its broadest sense. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. How is your work-life balance? In most businesses, no matter where you are positioned, there is always room for improvement. If you're an executive, learn insight about your business. Are you an employee? Learn how to better work with your team. Even if you're not in business, you can learn where your strengths and weaknesses can be played to their best potential. The Work-Life Balance with host Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. What does a visual workplace mean to you? How does it contribute to operational excellence? And what steps do you take to put it powerfully in place? Listen to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense to find out. Each week, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, shares tools and strategies to help you make the workplace speak at a glance without saying a word. Learn to work safer, faster, better, and at far less cost no matter what business you're in. Tune in to The Visual Workplace, Every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. 
With me today is Leonard Powell. Leonard is president and owner of Powell Consulting Group. It's a corporation that specializes in energizing human potential in organizations, and he's been doing this for 35 years. The focus is what does it take for me as a leader to create an environment where people follow me and are inspired in the following of me. Now, one of the important distinctions we've made is it's not that I do something that makes my followers inspired or motivated. Instead, it is I create the conditions where people can choose themselves to be inspired or motivated. And those conditions get created by the ways in which I help people feel or create an environment where people can feel significant, competent and liked to some degree and all of those the significance competence and liked have some backsides where we're trying to avoid some negative things like trying to avoid being ignored trying to avoid being humiliated or trying to avoid being rejected okay now in this segment i want to turn to two other aspects of this and the first one has to do with this notion of generosity and i find fascinating leonard you say that generosity is absolutely critically important if I'm going to be in create conditions where people feel inspired. Why and what do you mean? Uh, I think generosity is important in life, especially to leadership, especially to inspiring people, uh, 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 creating a condition where people can choose to, to, will choose to follow. If I'm going through life halfway, and doing something half-hearted. I get half-hearted results. But when I give up myself fully, I'm generous with my time. I'm generous with my energy. I'm generous with my feedback. I'm generous with people in general. People have a, a, a higher probability of, of, of connecting with me and building that relationship that will cause them uh, to choose to be turned on. Uh, so, so generosity is, is giving uh, bountifully and, and because it bountiful gets bountiful results. <laughs> I love that. Giving bountifully gets bountiful results. I think that's a fabulous line. Now, However, particularly in the world I live in, where we're talking about people who are experts, which means that they have a production job to do, a content delivery, as well as a leadership role, a blend of those two components, I find so much of corporate life drives us away from generosity. So I have my objectives, not just the team's objectives, so I have to achieve something. I have my performance review, how well I'm doing and delivering. I have time. I'm often doing three and four jobs today. There's pressures. My expertise even, I kind of want to hold on to that so I know my value and my place and I can stay significant in the organization. And it seems to me that all of those drive us towards more selfish, self-oriented behavior. I should say not selfish What's your view, and how, how do we get over this? Well, 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 that is a dilemma. We are there in, in the organization. The organizations exist in the first place to accomplish something, to produce, to accomplish a mission, to achieve some results. And, and as a leader, I have to be focused on those things, and those things are really measurable. So I, I can never lose sight of that. Otherwise, the organization will become a dinosaur and will disappear quickly. Uh, 
Um, but I discovered that relationships are the key to productivity. We get work done through relationships, and we can do all of the things, all of the management tools and all of the management techniques, but working in those relationships uh, is important. So in working those relationships, then I have to give of myself generously without losing sight of the prize. I have to keep my eye on on the organizational processes. I have to keep my eye on on the deliverables. I have to make sure we are doing the things that we need to do. And I have to be generous with the people who are doing those things so that they can be clear about where they stand, they can get their needs met, and they will have the willingness to keep on doing it or even do more of it because it's important to all of us that it happens. I coach so many people who struggle with impatience, and what you're saying is the anecdote to impatience. Generosity. Right. We, to change we, your mind. We, go ahead and finish. I apologize. No, no, you're fine. Go ahead. Um, we, we, we can become very selfish in the wrong way. I, I think leaders ought to be extremely selfish. Selfish about helping people to get where they want to go. Helping people to find something beneficial out of the experience in this organization or in this uh, in this team, uh, uh, beneficial, uh, generous in in helping people to to achieve something that is worth more than what they could have achieved if they weren't there. We have to be generous and wanting more for people than just run of the mill. Who wants to be mediocre? Who wants to live in the fringes? And so um, I want the most for you. I want a lot for you. And I might even want a lot more for you than you want for yourself. And so I believe a man's um, reach uh, should be outside of his grasp. And so as a leader, I'm going to be generous in, in, in with helping you to reach and then generous in facilitating the opportunity for you to strive to get there. Okay. All right. Relationships, connection, understanding how people can feel significant, competent, and light to some degree, and generous with my time with my wishes for you as my followers for what you can achieve in the organization and in our work, I guess I should say. All right, now, I want to turn to another topic that I think is really, well, I know you think is related to this one, and it probably sounds a little counterintuitive to some people listening, and that is this notion of diversity. And you say that you cannot inspire people to follow you if you are not competent in diversity. It isn't an add-on. It's a starting point. What, what do you mean, and why do you say that? Well, again, uh, Wanda, we go back to the to the, the basic definition. Leadership is a relationship between those who would aspire to lead and those who would choose to follow. Those who would choose to follow don't come in a single package. We aren't boxed alike. We aren't built alike. We don't 
look alike. We don't think alike. We don't make decisions the same way. We don't come from the same place. We don't have the same needs, idiosyncrasies, and, and we are not the same people. And yet, uh, the leader's role is to create an environment where each of those people, regardless of their uniqueness, uh, can be inspired. Uh, so I, we, we stress competence in every other facet of our organizational lives. I think we need to be as use competence when we're approaching uh, the subject of diversity or the phenomenon of diversity rather than the subject and and make sure that we are finding ways to to make people to help people to feel significant, competent, and liked, regardless of their uniqueness. To make sure we leverage the potential of every individual contributor, regardless of their uniqueness. So that is that is a, a central pro, uh, challenge of leadership because people are different. Okay. So, all right, I get this sense that I need to understand that people need to feel significant, competent, and like to some degree, but how do I begin to approach that for people who are all unique, as you said, with their own experiences, their own preferences, their own biases, their own life history? Where do I start as a leader? How do I get this competence? Uh, well, the first thing you start to, uh, it, it, again, it's, it's what we talked about in the earlier segment of knowing that, thyself. And then you go to be authentic and to recognize the uniqueness of people and, and to recognize that, that you as the leader were born in a conversation. And I call that the language of diversity. You were born in a conversation where you were scripted as you were being socialized to be the person that you are. And in, in that process, people were treated differently. People were seen differently. You connected with people differently. You related to people differently. And all of those scripts about people based on some diverbal that we will call diversity, or some aspect of them that we will call diversity, it's in your subconscious self. And it causes you to connect with some people more than others. It causes you to stay away from some people more than others. It causes you to think that some people are smarter, some people are dumber, uh, some people are faster, some people are slower, some people have high potential without having data to support that. So, so the challenge of the leader is to be able to develop the competence to work through all of those differences and, and, and uniquenesses and, and find a way to help people to not be rigid in themselves, in, in their uniqueness, but to be willing to step more into a community and take on something that's bigger than self. Okay. So can you give me an example of what this looks like? No, well, what, what, um, here, here's an example. I was uh, doing some work in an organization, and, and there was a person in the room uh, who felt that he was included 
in the team, and he was a part of the team. They always brought him to the meetings, and, and, and he always got notice of the meeting. But he discovered that there was a meeting before the meeting that he was never invited to. He discovered that there were decisions made before the meeting that he didn't share in. And then he discovered that that conversations that went on in the meeting, his voice didn't seem to matter the same way other people. Although he saw himself as equally competent and could contribute the same thing as others and more in many cases, but for some reason... He wasn't included the same way. He uh, didn't uh, get the challenging assignments, and, and, and he didn't feel that people liked him, even though they brought him in the room. And, and when we pushed through it, we, we discovered that there were scripts that were playing that people had about his competence based on his groupness rather than based on his individuality. Okay, based on the group and not on the in, the individuality. Okay, right. so let me describe a scenario for you and see if this fits in the same thing. I was working with a team, doing a you know an average team building exercise, nothing very elaborate, and everybody in the room has the same profile. Um, same preference in how they choose to relate to each other, same preference in how they choose to spend their private and free time, same preference in how open and um, talkative and warm they want to be with each other, except for one person out of a team of 12 who is the polar opposite. The 11 gang up and decide, in effect, that this other person who's a polar opposite is a problem on the team and that they need to do something about it and ultimately conclude that that individual is not very competent. Yeah. My opinion is he was just different. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, that, that's what I'm talking. Yes, exactly. They are making a judgment based on the person's style and and his way of being, his preferences of how he chooses to live his life, rather than looking at the data uh, about his performance. And so one of the questions that you ask in that kind of environment, uh, when you're making assumptions or you hear this dialogue going in your head, stop and say, where are, where are your data? How do you know what you know about this individual? How, how does he show up and what results does he produce? And, and what's, what's his story and what's his experience of the world? And so, yes, we have to slow it down and, and look at why we are making that assumption about him and making an assumption around his competence, and it may not have anything to do with him as an individual, but, but how we treat people who look and behave the way he does. Okay. All right. So how we treat people who look and behave. And I love this question. Ask yourself the question, where's the data? And how do I know this thing that I have concluded I know about an individual? And what's his story and his experience? And how's that impacting what our group is doing? All right. When we talk about diversity, we tend to talk about gender 
And then sometimes we kind of go yes in race too, and then nobody wants to talk about race. So why is race such a difficult thing to talk about today? Race is one of those difficult frontiers uh, based on the history of the world uh, and, and how we have treated people. It seemed, as I look at the world, we have a, we have had over the years a great propensity to marginalize people based on color. And it seems that uh, people who were of darker hues generally were at the bottom uh, of, of the social hierarchies. And, and they seem to get a treatment different uh, from uh, other people. And it's not just in my country, in the United States, but I find that all over the world. There's so many things uh, that give us anchors about color. Uh, we say uh, the black sheep of the family. When the stock market fell, uh, we say Black Monday. Everything dark seems to be lower or bad, lower than the norm or bad. And so somewhere our, our minds in working so fast make that connection. Then we have been given stories, as I said, as we were socialized about people. We didn't see people of those hues do things that other people did and, and having. And so we had stories about what they were supposed to do and have. Um, if I may, I, I can tell you a story about working in a corporation, and, and we reached a level of openness where people were really being authentic and putting their, their stuff out there and um, allowing themselves to be vulnerable because they now felt safe with their colleagues and safe to be authentic and express what they believe. And one person just broke into tears, and, and he was crying on uncontrollably. And he said he grew up in a neighborhood where everybody was poor, dirt poor. Nobody had anything. Blacks and whites lived in that neighborhood. Everybody was dirt poor. But he said, in spite of all of us being dirt poor and having the same nothing, I always knew that I was better than those black folk. So that's a script that he brought into the workplace. And, and he had processed that and been living through that, and now he's suddenly coming, becoming aware of it. We can't help but see people differently because society that we live in have always treated people differently based on their variables of uh, uh, uniqueness, and race is one of those that just stick out and is hard and been tough for us to own and to speak to. Okay. So what does that mean we can do as leaders on our teams or in our lives and our organization that's going to help us have the conversations we need to have or the awareness we need to have? Well, uh, you get the conversation started. We create that environment where it's safe to talk, where it's safe to talk about tough issues, where we don't push stuff under the, under the table. 
uh, where we are not trying to figure out whose ice is colder than whose ice. Everybody's ice freezes at 32 degrees Fahrenheit. And, and so we are not tr- trying to say, well, my pain is bigger than your pain. All of us who have been pain have had pain, uh, and, and pain feels the same way. But uh, we got to have that com- space where we can talk and people aren't embarrassed. They aren't going to have a price to pay for being who they are. I remember an election in Virginia where the candidate running for governor used uh, a term that's derogatory about a, a racial ethnic group, and he called this reporter by this ethnic slur. Uh, and he denied being a racist. Well, you know, all of us to some degree have a bit of racism in us based on how we were taught, what we were taught, and the community that we grew up in. But that's not safe to say. Who wants to own being a racist? There is a price to pay. We got to get rid of that. So we can be honest, and when I can be honest and open with myself first, and then I can be honest with you, then we can, can start to, to reconcile the differences. Mandela taught us truth and reconciliation. You, you can't have reconciliation without owning the truth and without talking about it and, and, and without looking in the mirror and, and seeing ourselves as we really are. You know, we do talk about reconciliation under Mandela, but I, you, you're right, we forget the truth part that comes first, and that was a really powerful part of the reconciliation process. So, Leonard, this implies that everybody, every single person has a role to play in creating this kind of safe environment, that everybody has to be honest with themselves about their own personal scripts my script as a woman that you will or will not take me seriously, your script as a man that you are better than or less than or value or whatever, whatever those scripts are, everybody has to own their script. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Uh, We have to own our script about ourselves and about others. I do an exercise where I have people um, of various groups stand opposite each other and I asked them to notice the people in your group their group and I said what do you have in common with them how are you different from them how do you feel about yourself in that group and then notice the other group and then here's the big question what are they saying or thinking about your group we all have this dialogue going on about what that other group is saying and thinking about us and how and what we think about them uh, that dialogue goes on inside of us, but it's not public that much. And if, when we can create the environment where we can talk about how I see myself, how I see you, the stories that I have about you, and what I think about how you see me, then we can start getting some traction. Okay. And what I think about how you see me, huh? That's a powerful one. It's yeah. the one we don't often do. I do the what I think about you, and I do what we have in common. We re- or sorry, what we have in difference. We rarely talk about what we have in common. 
but we certainly don't stop to think about what I think about that you're thinking about me. Right. And and see, that dialogue goes on in my head. If I think that you see me as incompetent, if I think that you see me as less than, if I think that you see me as a person who doesn't matter, then I will act on that. And my relationship with you will come out of that story that's going on with me, inside of me. And, and I don't take ownership for that story. And so my, my effort is to, to help me slow it down, to, to uh, hear that voice that's going on in me. When we start talking about relationships, we say, well, who, 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 who has the responsibility for doing this? And we say everybody has, but nobody is stepping up. And I say it takes two to tango, but it only takes one to start the music. So somebody has to step up and get the music started so we can, can uh, start building this environment where everybody can uh, use and develop their full potential regardless of their uniqueness. That's fabulous. I love that one, Leonard. I often say to people always ask me um, when I'm giving advice about how to develop a relationship or something, and they say, well, you know, whose responsibility is it to change? And my response to that is whoever asking the question. So, oh, fantastic. <laughs> so, any rate, similar ideas. I love that. Two to tango and one can start to the music. All right, so let me see if I can just sort of wrap up some of the things that we've said here. Um, I do think you're right that we have a very difficult time talking about some of the untalkables like race and socioeconomic status, I think, is another one, and those often get some t- in some places get tied to each other, and that we have a hard time owning our own stories. So how I see other people, what I have seen other people do, what I think I have in common or indifferent with other people, and more importantly, as you said, what I have in my head about what those other people think about me. And all of that stuff going on in my head affects the way that I interact with people. So the process is to create a safe environment where it's possible to slow it down, where it's possible to tell the truth first to myself and then perhaps to other people. And then we can start to unpack some of the stories that are going. How'd I do? You you are fantastic. Um, yeah, uh, I, I think you got it spot on. Okay. It's a challenge. It's not an easy one. And that also comes back to the points we started at this the second half, which is this notion of generosity. That if you want to inspire people, to you want people to be inspired to follow you. If you aspire to lead in a way that people will be inspired to follow, choose to be inspired to follow, then you have to be generous with your time, with yourself, with your energy in order to get there. No doubt. You, leaders have to be selfish and selfless. Selfless speaks to the generosity. Uh, selfish speaks to my desire to create this environment because I get work done through people. I can't do it myself. In your lead-in to the show, you, you, uh, uh, it, you talked about... Um, being a, a leader now who is not the expert, and you got experts working for you. You, 
you have to find a way to turn people loose, to use all of their collective brilliance, to use all of their collective in intellect and to take their discretionary emotional energy which they have absolute control over how they're going to deploy it and create an environment where they will take that discretionary emotional energy and commit it to getting things done and that help us to achieve the vision and 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 that is the only way I can be successful as a leader and and I have to be selfish about making that happen, which means then I have to be selfless and generous and to the people who I depend on for my success. Okay. Fabulous, Leonard. That's well said. We're out of time today. With me today is Leonard Powell, president and owner of Powell Consulting Company, focusing on energizing the human potential in organizations helping leaders create environments where people can choose to be inspired and motivated and follow. Thank you for joining us, Leonard, and join us next week for another episode. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.